ACOM presents the A-Game Podcast, hosted by Jeff Culleton and Nadia Shiner. Today, we have the fourth and final episode of our series on NFTs. In episode one, we covered the basics of what they are. In episode two, we investigated how they can be used in marketing. In episode three, we talked about the metaverse. And today, we talk about the actual process by which artists can make and sell their work. With us for the fourth, but hopefully not the final time, is G.I. Zaratsian, founder of Fandom. Welcome, everybody, to episode four of our four-part series on NFTs and NFTs in marketing. Uh, we're once again joined by G.I. Zaratsian, who is the uh, CEO and co-founder of uh, Fandom, uh, dealing in NFT experiences specifically with sports brands. Um, and, and just to recap kind of where we've been so far uh, in in this little journey of ours. So episode one, we did a lot of definition, foundational stuff about what F- NFTs are, you know, the underpinnings of it. Episode two, we talked uh, a lot more about, um, you know, brand executions, what's being done right now, how a digital asset can be utilized uh, on a brand's behalf. And then uh, most recently, we just talked about how that intersection works with the metaverse, which is an extraordinarily large concept. Um, but now we're actually going to guinea pig our friend Nadia here. Um, we'll let you acclimate first before that begins. But one of the, the most interesting things we've seen with NFTs so far is they exploded. You know, the, the, the creation of them exploded, the ability to make them and sell them exploded. And, you know, it's where most people are going to get the bubble kind of vibe from because, you know, we talk about Bored Ape or we talk about V Friends or, you know, the valuations of these things with seemingly minimal backing other than attention and the people who are doing them, you know, just blew up. And so that's all well and good. It's cool to be people. I'm sure it is probably cool to be people. Um, but, you know, on a more tangible sense of how you create uh, and then you, you, you publish and, and put your things out there, Nadia ends up being this really cool case study that we can start to poke at because, you know, of the many commas in the title of things that you are, one of them is artist. True. Am I correct? You're correct. So what, what kind of art is it that you do and how long have you been doing it? I've been painting since I was 12. And the kind of art I, I make right now is, um, I would call it contemporary word-based. What does that mean? Like image and word okay. together. Cool. Yeah, in the tradition of Basquiat, but not as, not as good. <laughs> I, do, I do image and word art too, but I refer to it as a meme. Is it? <laughs> and I'm not as good as Nadia because I've seen her work. It's fantastic. So just so you know, I cut you and I a side deal. So if we're if we're able to turn her work into NFTs and she becomes wickedly rich, we're both getting originals, Beautiful. both the NFTs and the physical prints. I still of that. I, the the cuts of royalties is what I'm after. Yeah, right. You oh know, yeah, I want I want the I want, this I want is 2%. capitalism. Yeah, I want two okay. percent on the sale moving forward in perpetuity. I feel dirty. Yeah, don't. It's it's fine. It's, it's going to be great. It's art. We're so good. have have you have you in the past sold your art? I have. Okay. So what, what would those be to private collectors? Would it be to physical brick and mortar locations? Where have you sold it? Both. Both. Yes. I've sold it in galleries. I've sold it to, uh, you know, I've done commissions for people. Um, yeah. Like a, a, a dog on an aristocrat's body kind of thing? Or is it different? It's probably different. Yeah. You're thinking of someone else. Yeah. <laughs> 
But so the the act of 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 doing that, you physically sit down, you create, you do yes. all these things, then you take it to a physical location, mm-hmm. somebody buys it, mm-hmm. it gets delivered. That's a very linear process. That's right. In theory, um, not to oversimplify your life's work. Um, when it comes to creating an NFT, when it comes to creating, taking your art and creating an NFT. Most people are are relative are completely unfamiliar with how that would happen. So, GI, how would our friend Nadia do that? What are the steps? What are the types of places you could go to potentially get it out there in the world? Yeah, it, first I, I think it's where you started with like uh, I use words and images, kind of combine them. Your your format. Like, wh- what do you actually create on? Is it canvas? Mm-hmm. Like, it's what's canvas. Canvas, okay. So that's going to be the biggest difference right out of the gate from NFT to physical art, right? The, the medium is now a digital asset all of a sudden. So you can really create on any canvas you want, any type of object, if, even if it's a sculpture-related thing in real life, and then convert that into a digital file. So, like, taking your artwork, which I know you have artwork that's, large in size, right? Correct. Three feet by four feet, maybe bigger. So like, how do we scan that? How do we get that image now into a digital file and not just, you know, a photograph, but like a real nice scanned image so it's high resolution. So that's that's like kind of step one. And now there are some artists and designers that are just natively designing digitally. So they're using Procreate, they're using all of their different tools. I'm not great at any of these things. Um, <laughs> Adobe, other than PDF, that's the only Adobe product I'm good with. Um, they're, they're starting directly within digital because once they do that, it's a lot easier to manipulate, a lot easier to do variations or, you know, if they want to go from like a one-of-one original to having something that's more of like part of a theme. Um, so picking and choosing your format, I think, is, is the most important thing. But traditionally, for traditional artists, if your format has been Canvas, you have to get you have to get an image file of that, and you need to be able to get that into a format that you can now upload as an NFT. So that becomes the visual representation of what someone's going to purchase. Now, when somebody when somebody purchases the NFT, is it commonplace? So say it started as a Canvas piece, is it commonplace for that? ultimate purchaser to get both the NFT and the physical asset? It can be. And and that's where you can make the the decision of how you want to monetize and position yourself as now an NFT artist, right? Do you want to use NFTs as the mechanism to sell the art? So instead of going to, you know, the existing art galleries where you've sold before in real life, you've now got this virtual art gallery that's NFTs and there's a variety of places where you can promote that and, and house that to, to attempt to sell it. So you could just do the digital asset, right? Or you could say, this is a one of one. Here's the physical. When you buy the digital, I will ship you the physical. And now you've got this sort of like certificate or this warranty, right? They're now bound together. And me as the buyer, I've got digital and physical. If I eventually want to sell that, I could choose to split them up or I could sell them as a package deal. Theoretically, they should be more valuable as a package deal. Just revisiting our conversation in the first um, segment, the part of the value of, it, I mean, an NFT is what comes with it, right? Because the even though I, somebody could own the, the NFT of my piece, it can still be sort of 
quote unquote, illegally reproduced, right? By somebody who doesn't own it. Sure. Right. Right clickers, people that right click mm-hmm. on the image, save it, but then they have no authentic way of proving that they own it via the blockchain, right? So right. But, they, but the person who does own it, what's the remedy of if they want to stop somebody or from, you know, what, are the, what do you do? You get a, a injunction or something? Yeah, it, it, pl- plenty of cease and desist orders. Like, it, like that, that would be challenging to do as an individual artist. Like, how do you prevent people from, like, copying and pasting that, right? So, obviously, being the first person, you being the artist, to mint that to the blockchain, we've now got photographic proof on blockchain that you created that piece of art that if someone were to replicate that and copy paste and try to pass it off as their own artwork, mm-hmm. well, guess what? The blockchain's in order of when that transaction took place. You point back to yours. Here's the original. And I will say this about the Web3 community. They uh, will cancel the person who just copied you pretty quickly. They'll find that out. They'll do the investigation. They'll go through the blockchain and say, nah, Nadia made this, not this other artist. So there's ways to prevent that, but it's, it's, it's similar to the real world. If I go on Google and copy an image of a LeBron James dunk and I go and try and sell that as like posters to, you know, teenagers outside the mall, um, do, do kids buy posters anymore? I don't know. <laughs> right, that was mall. exactly... <laughs> that, that was a yeah. 90s comment a, from me. I what's apologize. A what's a mall? Um, um, but right, there's... Like I can I think that was that. my point was right. like what is what makes my process doing this what makes that different what makes that um, what makes me bulletproof from we're never bulletproof yeah, I mean it doesn't exist it's the same thing as 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 what we operate with today like anyone can copy anything and try to commercialize it now it's illegal you can put a disclaimer at the bottom of your website when someone buys this thing and there's disclaimers on you know marketplaces like OpenSea but those are just legal disclaimers saying that if you do these things, we could sue you, and here's what the fine and punishment could be. So it's the same as traditional versus non-traditional with NFTs. Um, the, I think the, the clear benefit with NFTs is now we've got this sort of proof. The blockchain serves as proof. So that, I think, is, is a way to kind of alleviate the tension and stress from, like, an artist. Like, okay, if I put this as an NFT, like, how do I prevent people from right-clicking? In a way, is it really a bad thing? You're going to get you know, maybe some unique publicity out of other people sharing your work, at the end of the day, it rolls back into the value of the original artwork that's now an NFT. So I think that creates an opportunity for you as an artist. So let me ask this. So we've, we've to go back to the process, we've scanned a physical asset. So this is a, you know, three foot by four foot. This is a pretty significant thing. We'll, we'll just assume for the moment that the scanning mechanism is available to you. That's actually a question I had. Where do people go? There's, there are places you, you can go. You have a studio here, right? Didn't you guys do have we? a massive room? Yeah, just, we could yeah. do it very easily. Mm-hmm. Get a nice 4K camera and just go up and down, and boom, now you get an awesome file. Turns out you Perfect. know some people. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. So, okay, now we have it as a physical file, and where do we go to sell it? So a couple of different routes here. This is where you can get hyper-creative, this is where an artist has to ask themselves the question, what resources do I have? What budget do I have? What am I great at? Or who do I want to partner with to help make this happen? So there's really easy ways to do this. It's you take your now digital file, your digital image of your art, and you go to opensea.io, O-P-E-N-S-E-A.io. From there, you can upload your artwork you can, you know, set a listing price. You want to sell this thing for $2,000. And you can charge in 
US dollar, you can charge in Ethereum, you can charge in a variety of different cryptocurrencies. And you'll give a description about this artwork so you can talk about yourself. If you want to link out to a website that's your website that tells the full story of who you are, you can do that. And then you can submit it for sale. Um, what you're doing is you're actually publishing your asset to the blockchain saying that this can be minted, right? This asset can be minted. And I'll back up a minute because in order to do those things, we talked a little bit about this on the previous podcast, you need to have an Ethereum wallet like MetaMask or Coinbase or Wallet Connect because you have to now register your transaction to the blockchain when you go to OpenSea. So starting with that digital wallet, you connect to OpenSea, you're gonna approve a transaction through your digital wallet. You'll likely need some Ethereum in there or some type of cryptocurrency to process the listing. So because you're gonna list this for sale, that goes for sale on the blockchain it requires a little bit of gas for you, right? And that's gas- a, That's the technical term. That's a technical term, okay. gas. Gas is the, think about it as like the fuel in terms of currency that you need to spend to enable this to happen on the blockchain. And, so it's and your skin in the game. It's your skin in the game. It's, you're essentially paying little fractions of money to a bunch of node operators that are processing your transaction. That's what makes decentralization the way that it is. Here's an action. In order to complete that action, it gets sent out to a bunch of different node operators. They have to agree in consensus that this is correct. When they do, they get little fractions of money. How is the how is the 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 gas calculated? Variety of ways. So really, gas is typically calculated on a couple of factors. One is the smart contract that it's interacting with, and more evolved smart contracts that have a lot of language in it become bulky, which makes the gas go higher because it has to go through a lot of different lines of code in order to compute. Interesting. It also has a lot to do with network congestion. So like on a network like Ethereum, which is inherently slow, but it's the OG and it's a great cryptocurrency, right? It's number two. Um, you know, the network congestion, if there's a lot of people processing transactions at the same time, it's like Uber, supply and demand, gas goes up. And if you want to complete a transaction, you're basically trying to jump the line by paying more gas. So that's how that kind of operates. But Interesting. when it comes to like uploading art, like you're not going to be experiencing high gas prices when it's a single piece of art and you're using OpenSea. It might cost you $15 to now I can list this thing for sale. So, all right, so you've connected your wallet, you've gone through that process, you've uploaded the, the image file, you've talked about what it is and the metadata, and you've you know pointed to your website so people know it's you. Now you've got, you know, Nadia's collection on OpenSea of this one piece of art. It's not like anyone's like lining up to buy it yet, right? Right. How do they know? Yeah. So marketing, right? You got to hey, promote. Full circle. No novel concept. So you've got to promote that. And, you know, do you have an audience today of people that like your art? Do you have an audience of people today that like NFTs? Like the, that's the convergence of two circles that you're trying to get to kind of overlap here, right? And who who enjoys your artwork? Are they enjoying it because it's something that inspires them or they like just like you? It's so like the traditional way of marketing your art is to go put it up into a gallery, right? Who can you connect with in the NFT space that can give you the sort of coverage that you need in order to display this and potentially have someone come and buy it? This is where I think it ends up getting really cool because this is where people's networks 
their organic social followings, the you know their owned channels end up becoming extraordinarily important to the visibility. And so like, are you cultivating or is any artist cultivating that so that when they do uh, decide to list art on OpenSea or wherever they do it, can you go to that, have enough of an audience, have enough of a megaphone to get people back into potentially look at and or buy your NFT and your art? Right. And, and how can you as Nadia go collaborate with um, someone else who sold NFT art, right? Uh, can you go, and there's a lot of like women-led projects too, where they want to bring more women artists into the space because currently it's a male-dominated industry. So women follow women in this space. Can you go work with, you know, the World of Women NFT project, which is crushing it. If you if you Google search World of Women, you know, the floor price for, as of timeless recording, is like $35,000 to buy one of their NFTs. Can they promote you? Can they promote Nadia? Hey, Nadia is new to the space. She's been developing art for this, you know, since she was eight, 12, whatever. Check out what she created. It's her first NFT artwork ever. And it's being listed for 0.75 Ethereum, right? Which is like, what is that? What are we like 20? 2,900 today, 0.75 would be 2,100 bucks. Yeah, 2,100 bucks. Yeah, something like that, right? So they'll promote you to people that have a lot of cryptocurrency can you sell that fast? Now, you got to get to them, right? That's that's the trick is getting to them to be able to promote yourself. The benefit you have in this space is as you st- start selling, you have to be active in, you know, in Twitter. You have to be active on social because you're trying to grow an audience. As you grow that audience, as you put artwork out that people want to buy over and over and over again, you grow your ability to scale in this space. And now you're Nadia, the NFT artist. I think there are some there are going to be a significant number of artists who are going to rebel against this idea of having to sell, having to be business people and cultivate, you know, networks and connect. Well, well I mean, it's not, d- it's already sounding like that, I have you, nothing to do with this. You're doing that though, in, in, in a way, right? Like you've, you've commissioned art before. So how did they hear of you? Maybe word of mouth. And they came to you and said, Hey, I want you to do this or something like this. Use your, your art inspiration and I'll pay you money, right? You just completed a business transaction. You took money for uh, a work that you're creating. And when you go to galleries, are you not out there with wine and cheese, uh, shaking Ooh, hands and telling people who you are? You're not. No. Come on. Well, but here, okay, so we're using you as a finite example, but what you're talking about is a friction that has existed in art forever. Mm-hmm. So look at record labels. Yes, exactly. I mean, that's my point. It's a not, friction that's existed in art forever, and the, and the artist doesn't want to have to express him or herself in a gallery with wine and cheese or, you know, speak, the, the art is the expression. I don't disagree with you. However, the ones who are willing to go out and do it have a financial upside that the others don't. That's just, now we're getting back into, this is just human choice. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, that's personal preference as to how you want to take those things out into the world. Correct. And, you know, it was it Kendrick Lamar? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sign a deal and then I'm going to like, I'm going to mow through these things so fast so you don't own me anymore. And okay, I mean, that, that creative versus capitalism has existed. This is going to be another expression of it. However, Point back to Beeple. Beeple made at Sotheby's 70, 80, 100 million dollars off of art that he created uh, 2012, something right. like that. And so this guy who is a, 
He's I eccentric this, with his art, right? It's yes. unique. Yeah, it is it is unique, but you know, he's he's average white guy looking kind of cat and he made a hundred million dollars in a very short period of time. He looks like he played Bill Gates in a movie about <laughs> Bill Gates in nineteen eighty four. Yes. And still to this day looks exactly like that. And, you know, starving artists will look and be like, Oh my God, how could I be people? How could I sell my stuff like you know, the friction's going to exist. And so uh, my apologies for saying this to you, but you're not a unicorn. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I know. That's my point. I'm not a unicorn. I think there are a lot of artists who sure. feel this way. Yeah. Who feel the friction really deeply. But but this... I'm not saying I don't want to try this. I'm not no, saying I don't want to like see if this works. You know, I'm very curious. You already signed. We're already... Yeah, we're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah, we're yeah. You can't back out live. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right, Jeff and I get 25% each. Is that yeah, what it was? I believe okay. 25% each. Um, and and cop originals. <laughs> but the, like, remember, like, why, why the need for NFTs in general, right? Like, this is a practical use case in art to create more value for the artist. Because while you're not, you know, thinking this way historically about your artwork, like me being like the business person responsible for procuring the sales and, you know, transacting and, you know, glad handing people. The benefit you have in this scenario is you can get royalties now, like finally on your art. And when you make that transaction selling your original piece to a person in real life, you they buy it and you're done. You're out of the picture unless they want to commission you for something else in the future because they love that art and they want to build a whole room around it. Your transaction point ends there in physical art, whereas with NFT, it perpetuates over time. Every time you're piece of art is bought and sold, you're going to get captured. You're going to capture that royalty. Like if I published a book. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. Exactly. But you've got the blockchain to validate it. You've got a you know, digital wallet that receives funds every time it's transacted. It becomes passive income for you and hopefully gives you like the platform to create more art because you see the, the sequence of opportunity now with NFTs. And doesn't this start to, is this the evol- an evolution of a gig economy? Is this an evolution of an Uber where you now have the ability within your time to take your creative output or your time in Uber's case and use it for your own personal financial benefit instead of having to be under the umbrella of a corporation? Right. Is that going to be something as easy to access as as Uber? No, not. Creativity is always going to have a higher barrier to entry than you know, something like that. But I mean, it is something that people are currently doing to make a living. They've now been able to monetize that. And for the artist, for the person, there's a lot of upside to that. I would think as somebody who has no artistic talent whatsoever and is living vicariously through your artistic talent at the moment. But can it, it, I mean, I can see how the benefit of that exists. Do you, in fact, see the benefit or do you see it black and white as this is soul crushing? No, no, it's not soul crushing. I, I'm just, I'm playing devil's advocate. Sure. I mean, I, but I could see how it could become soul crushing. I mean, but I also see the benefit. <laughs> both, both things are true. But what if you could just be yourself still, mm-hmm. and instead of not being on Twitter, you now are on Twitter, but still just being yourself. You're not trying to be overly promotional. Here's what I created. Here's my inspiration. Here's here's me. Here's my why. That's it. And then people enjoy your art and they buy it and they follow you because they want to see what you're going to create next. Like that's just using social media. Mm -hmm. Like you're not having to be 
again, glad handing and like asking for things and shilling all your stuff everywhere, you can do it in a very organic way. I actually think those are the people that will succeed the longest in this space that are the most organic with how they grow their audience. But it's you know, like we talked about the process very quickly. Like how do you how do you get art into an NFT essentially? Like there's there's a hundred ways to do it. We gave the example of OpenSea. The opportunity you have though is as you become a better artist, there are more curated NFT marketplaces out there that will want you to then do artwork that they can sell on their site and they'll take a commission of course on the sale of it, but guess what they have? A built-in audience, right? To do that from day one, it's very hard to get discovered. So this is, it is part, okay, I've got art, I, I know I'm good, I know people have bought it in the real world, but now I've got to marry that with an audience somehow mm-hmm. so they can have exposure to it and can purchase this thing. Yeah, the organic, um, what you call the organic growth, you know, expression and growth of a following is feels much more comfortable to me. Just be yourself and... You don't not be overly promotional. Well, but as as we talk about all this bleeding edge stuff, that is an extraordinarily foundational piece of how you engage in anything, how you sell anything, how you market anything is like, you know, do you know your audience? Do you know yourself first? Do you know and have comfort with the value that you provide or the, the problem that you solve? And then can you go out and do not only audience identification, who are the people that I would like to talk to, but audience cultivation? Can you be an audience cultivation is, is laborious and it is consistent and it is something that is extraordinarily difficult to fake. And because especially now, I love the way you talked about the, uh, you know, the, the node operators on blockchain, like, you know, inauthenticity is, is, is now more, almost more verifiable than it ever has been before. If you, you know, you try and flex and own a thing or this and, you know, you can't do that as much anymore. And the ability to cultivate that audience only really works if you are doing it organically at first, potentially creating lookalike audiences and and putting your stuff out in front of other people who have similar interests. That's really core foundational stuff to what we do, or any marketer does on a daily basis. And to your point, GI, the I think there's there's not even two two schools of thought, but there's two groups in NFTs right now: fast cash grab, long term, looking to try and figure out how it's going to be utilized in in a more you know economy sense of things. I'm gonna I'm gonna hit you guys with a term, Ooh. and I want I want to watch Nadia's reaction. I'm excited Air, already. Airdrop. Mm. What comes to your mind when I say airdrop? <laughs> um, like when you have a photo and you want to put it on someone else's, okay. send it to someone? Yeah, yeah that's, that's fair. Like if okay. we're sitting here, I can airdrop something from my phone to exactly. Jeff's phone. Mm-hmm. But airdrop in the NFT space is I can now send you an NFT to your wallet without you having to ask for it. So we talk about, you talk about some of like the marketing side of things that what's, what's uniquely different in the NFT space, um, number one, Twitter spaces. We do we t- we talked about Twitter Spaces for a minute. It's like it like it kicked Clubhouse to the curb. Yeah. You guys remember Clubhouse from last year? That was cute, right? Was, yeah, burn burn bright and fast. It's cute, right? Very well funded, a lot of hype, and then Twitter Spaces is like uh, we can just do this thing where people can do audio only and talk to each other too, and yeah. we have a much bigger audience. So um, anyway, Twitter Spaces is very big in the NFT industry right now, and I, I mentioned World of Women. 
like if I'm you, this is what I'm doing as an artist. I am sending my art to the world of women leadership team. It's all women, right? And it's highly successful. They've curated a massive audience of people that care about their mission to support women and diversity and bringing more women into the space. And if I'm you, I'm sending my art to them and saying, hey, I'm not it. Here's my art. Check it out. You're going to push yourself in in a little bit of that uncomfortable, like, eh, I got to like promote myself for a minute. The benefit you have there is they'll host Twitter spaces and they'll say, hey, we have Nadia on today and she's going to talk to you and she's going to talk about herself and what she cares about and what inspires her art. So things that should come naturally to you. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You're not seeing these people. It's just Twitter spaces. It's talking with your phone. Um, you get to promote yourself. What's going to happen there when there's 5,000 people tuning in? They're going to click on you. They're going to follow you on Twitter. Now, now you're building an audience. The other benefit. So I should have a Twitter account, is what you're saying. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. that's yeah. that's episode five. Okay. Nadia gets Twitter. Um, so episode five is going to be miscellaneous. It's just <laughs> but things that we didn't finish our conversation. Random on. things to yeah. catch up on in life. Um, so I brought up AirDrop. So you create this little, little unique collaboration with World of Women. You say, "Here's my art." Instead of selling your first piece of art, you're going to give it away. Why would you give it away? To grow an audience. Yeah, right. Yes. Right. So Sorry, you're gonna, that was rhetorical. No, no, no. Okay. I mean, whatever. You could, you could have answered. I don't know why. But you're going to give it away. So you're going to say to World of Women, and they do this right now. So I own a World of Women NFT. And every 30 days or so, I get an airdrop from them where they send me a piece of art from another female artist that they're cultivating, they're helping grow, they're helping learn and be educated in cool. space. That's very cool. And I just get a free NFT. It, they send it right to me. So what can I do? I can click on that artwork. I can see who the artist is. I can see everything else that artist is creating and boom, now you've created an ecosystem opportunity for you as an artist, all because you had a partnership with someone that's willing to put you out there and let people learn who you are. So what it comes down to, right? Partnerships. It, so I, I, I think this is just like such an interesting conversation. Thank you for allowing us to use sure, you as a you. guinea pig. Now. As we talk about an unplanned episode five, we're going to need to do this. Like we have to, we have to get you on OpenSea. We have to try and get you on World of Women. And when that happens, we'll follow back up with that. But like, really, really amazing series of discussions here. GI, thank you. Um, something tells me this is not going to be the last time we speak about this. No, we'll do this. We said we're going to mix some booze and podcasts. Oh, too, that's right? right. Yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah, next next one we start with the booze, then we go to the podcast and I'm see in. where things go from there. Uh, but that's going to wrap up uh, episode four for us. Uh, Gi Zaratzian, CEO and founder of Fandom, uh, Fandom dot com, F A N D E M dot com. Go check that out. Uh, and then this podcast, along with the other uh, three in the series, are going to be up on. Uh, not only adcom, uh, engageadcom.com, but uh, all of our social channels and wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, come back and join us soon. But until then, GI, thank you very much. You've been listening to The A-Game, an adcom production. Adcom is a marketing partner in Cleveland, Ohio, creating measurable returns for our clients. Like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and find us on your favorite social networks.